focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have our reporters in Iaran and Chung Yein. Guys, welcome back. Good, Good evening. Good evening to you guys. It's going to be a busy week for President Yoon Sung Yeol as we'll be making a week-long trip to Indonesia, that followed by India, as he's going to be taking part in the annual summits of uh, As Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or of course ASEAN in short. Uh, this is going to take place in Jakarta, Indonesia, that followed by the G20 summit uh, over in New Delhi, India. Let's talk about what will be on President Yoon's itinerary first. Uh, you're going to start us off with our report, Aran. Sure. President Yoon Song yeol has departed for Indonesia today to attend annual summits of Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN, and then will travel on to India later this week for a summit of G20 economies. This will be the second consecutive year the president attends both gatherings, underscoring the importance his administration places on boosting cooperation with the region that is strategically positioned in the U.S.-China rivalry and has growing economic potential. According to Principal Deputy National Security Advisor Kim Tae-hyo, President Yoon will attend a South Korea ASEAN summit on Wednesday and check the current status of cooperation between the two sides while discussing areas of future cooperation. The same day, he will attend an ASEAN Plus 3 summit involving the 10 member states and South Korea, Japan, and China before going to a gala dinner hosted by the chair, Indonesia. On the following Thursday, the president will attend the East Asia Summit, a security forum bringing together leaders from the 10 ASEAN states and eight other countries. Yoon will present South Korea's position on regional and international issues, including North Korea's nuclear program, and explain how the country plans to contribute to the rules-based international order. Also, the president will state the South Korean government's plans to push the Korea ASEAN Solidarity Initiative, which was previously unveiled by President Yoon during last year's ASEAN summit in Cambodia, focusing on strategic communication and cooperation with the bloc's 10 members for regional peace and stability. On Friday, he will hold a summit with Indonesian President Joko Widodo and attend a joint press conference, excuse me. Later that day, he will travel to India to attend two sessions of the G20 summit the following day, and Yoon will present South Korea's plans to contribute to overcoming climate change. On Sunday, the last day of his tour, Yoon is scheduled to visit a memorial dedicated to the Indian anti-colonial nationalist Mahatma Gandhi with other world leaders. He will then attend the third G20 session under the theme of One Future. Yoon is set to hold at least 14 bilateral meetings on the, on the sidelines of the ASEAN and G20 summits. A bilateral meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping was raised as a possibility during his India trip, but the meeting seems unlikely as Xi is reported to be not attending the G20 summit this time. That's right. So in place of uh, President Xi Jinping, uh, the reports are indicating that maybe uh, President Yoon sung yeol is still going to have talks with Beijing, uh, but instead of uh, President Xi Jinping being in place, I believe uh, Chinese Premier Li Chang uh, might be taking that role. So there is going to be maybe 
some sort of a discussion between the two sides. And I think all the more important at this time because uh, China has not been so happy with sort of the cooperation uh, between uh, I guess South Korea, the U.S., and Japan, as if uh, China is sort of getting isolated in the in the Pacific region. Uh, but as President Yoon Sang-yeol kicks off his diplomatic super week, uh, he did uh, take part in a written interview with an Indonesian newspaper uh, daily called Compass, uh, I believe, where he stated that North Korea's escalating missile provocations and nuclear threats pose a direct and existential threat to the ASEAN countries. Let's get more details on this very interview. Sure. So starting off his week-long itinerary in Jakarta, President Yoon shared his thoughts on the diplomatic landscape surrounding the ASEAN region in his interview with the Indonesian national newspaper Compass. And addressing how the North Korea's threat is growing, he said that Korea and ASEAN must work hand-in-hand to decisively respond to and denuclearize North Korea. Yun viewed that peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region uh, is directly connected to, do- to those of the entire international community. And against this backdrop, he said, the war in Ukraine and North Korea's nuclear and missile threats are undermining international norms and destroying existing agreements and commitments made among the countries. Now, as ASEAN and Korea see eye to eye in acknowledging the importance of a rules-based international order, he said the countries need to further strengthen their solidarity and cooperation to ensure that such an order is firmly rooted in the Indo-Pacific region. Now, when it comes to the ASEAN plus three relations, um, President Yoon said it is time to put trilateral cooperation between Korea, Japan and China back on track. And if cooperation among the three countries is revitalized, the broader cooperation among ASEAN plus three will also gain greater momentum. Explaining how the trilateral cooperation is, uh, you know, not really intended to exclude any particular country or to counter any particular power, uh, President Yoon said the three countries will strive to realize outcomes that benefit everyone by promoting universal values and a rules-based international order. Yoon also reiterated the Korean government's commitment to support for the ASEAN countries. Now, ASEAN's key values are openness, transparency, and inclusiveness, and they are becoming ever more important as the international community is now facing more conflicts and confrontations. Uh, President Yoon stated that these values are in line um, and also aligned with Korea's Indo-Pacific strategy, which is about promoting inclusion, trust, and reciprocity. He also added that ASEAN will remain as Korea's core partner, for which the Korean government will share Korea's experience and know-how in terms of achieving unprecedented economic development in a short period of time. That's right. And South Korea, of course, have mentioned before, diversifying portfolio and hence uh, improving export figures uh, or trade, uh, improving trade relations with uh, some of the ASEAN nations uh, is certainly going to be key. And we do know for sure, uh, being that again, India and Indonesia with a high population, these are uh, huge countries. Uh, cooperating with these two countries is important to fight against, I guess, in, in some ways, uh, North Korea's provocations. You know, South Korea is uh, certainly looking for more cooperation on this field. But even more important, maybe, uh, some might say, is for South Korea's economy. So, Aran, do tell us why economic ties with these two countries are ever so significant. Sure. Indonesia and India are emerging markets gaining attention in the rapidly changing global economic environment. In fact, the two countries have historically been considered relatively peripheral countries for South Korea compared to the United States or China. 
However, with the rapid contraction of the Chinese economy following the recent pandemic and the reshuffling in the global supply chains, countries are shifting their attention towards these two countries. India, with its population surpassing China's this year, is seen as an attractive investment destination as well as production base that will potentially replace China. Many automobile companies are building their production facilities in India thanks to India's Make in India policy, an initiative to transform India into a global manufacturing hub. At the same time, Indonesia is also rising as a cooperation partner for countries in terms of supply chains. Indonesia is now at the forefront of cutting-edge industries such as electric vehicles and secondary cells. For Korea, the two countries are proving to be important export partners. According to the data released by the Korea International Trade Association from January to July this year, Exports to India amounted to $10.1 billion, ranking India seventh among all export destinations. During the same period, exports to Indonesia reached $5.5 billion, ranking Indonesia 13th. Although their share in the total, total exports does not seem to be large enough compared to other major trading partners, exports to both countries have shown a clear upward trend over the past two years. Also, according to the Korea Trade Investment Promotion Agency, India is a global production base that produced approximately 4.4 million vehicles in 2021, ranking fourth in production volume after China, the US, and Japan. Korean automakers Hyundai and Kia have already entered the Indian market. In 2021, in the India's passenger car market, Hyundai ranked second with a market share of 17%, and Kia ranked fourth with a market share of 6%. Excuse me. On the other hand, Indonesia is building its own EV and battery supply network. The supply chain for the core material of EV batteries, nickel, is being developed under the leadership of the Indonesian government and state-owned enterprises. Both India and Indonesia are the countries where there are a lot of K-culture cons consumers are living. As of October last year, several Korean TV shows, including Mr. Sunshine and Little, Little Women, ranked among the top 10 most-watched shows on Netflix Indonesia. Also, the India's media and entertainment market, expected to grow at 13% annually, will reach $31 billion in value by 2024. Yeah, so again, I mean, India is, I keep talking about, uh, China says uh, countries like South Korea, the U.S. and Japan and some of the other countries are decoupling. Uh, against uh, China, but uh, of course the U.S. has used a word like de-risk, basically simply put, uh, diversifying portfolio so that uh, there's not a whole lot of heavy reliance on China itself. And in case there is some sort of trade conflict, as we are seeing right now, that China cannot retaliate uh, using the power of the market that they have. So instead, uh, using other sources. And so India sort of seems like a, a, 
I guess the the option, the secondary option, especially when it comes to uh, the manufacturing uh, sector, as uh, was mentioned earlier, because uh, instead of, I guess, having factories over in China, uh, having, I guess, factories in India might be a bit better. And for United States, who have been pushing for, I guess, some of these like semiconductor uh, factories built in uh, China being kind of banned for exports and things like that, maybe uh, India could be an option. So nevertheless, it's going to be quite interesting. And by the way, for our listeners out there, BTS, before they really 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 made it big they were actually bigger in india before they made it big uh, so interesting little uh, fun fact there uh in the meantime foreign minister pak jin said that south korean government is making every effort to transfer tehran's uh, frozen funds over to iran and uh, further strengthen the bilateral ties uh, between the two countries which let's face it have been soured because of these frozen assets that cannot be moved because of u.s sanctions yeah let's get more on this sure so it was during a phone conversation that happened happened yesterday evening that Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin spoke with his Iranian counterpart, uh, Hossein Amir Abdullahian, and emphasized efforts are being made to transfer the frozen funds that are currently in Korea with a clear recognition that they belong to the Iranian people. He added that uh, progress is being made to resolve this issue through close dialogue and communication between the relevant countries, and Abdullahian was said to have expressed his appreciation for the progress. Now, this being the very first phone conversation after their encounter on the sidelines of the 77th session of the UN General Assembly in September last year, uh, the two ministers decided to further expand the relations between the two countries through close, high-level communication. As the two countries celebrate the 61st anniversary of the establishment of their diplomatic ties, Park also called for expanding bilateral cooperation in fields such as academia, science, sports, and culture. Now, this came after the United States and Iran uh, being in negotiations for a prisoner swap in exchange for the release of billions of dollars frozen in South Korea. Uh, Iran was also said to be slowing down its uranium uh, enrichment, which is interpreted interpreted as an effort to ease tensions with the United States. An IAEA report seen by the Associated Press on Monday indicated uh, that Iran was reported to have 121.6 kilograms of uranium enriched up to 60%. Now, the uranium amount was 114 kilograms in May and 87.5 kilograms in February that uh, all in all shows know how the speed of increase is now slowing down in general. The UN nuclear watchdog, however, warned that Tehran's uh, uranium stockpile is still growing and it has enough enriched uranium for several nuclear weapons. Yeah, but at the same time, you have to take into consideration that uh, Iran was at one point not enriching at that uh, level until I believe uh, Donald Trump uh, some years ago pulled down of that uh, Iranian nuclear deal. Uh, hence, you know, Iran got really upset. They say, you know what, we're going to start enriching uranium once again. Uh, but it still uh, far exceeds, I believe, uh, the, the the purity level uh, compared to what it was uh, before the uh, the nuclear uh, agreement was uh, scrapped under the, uh, the Trump administration. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is planning to travel to Russia next week. Uh, potentially to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, the two leaders likely to discuss a potential supply of weapons to Russia 
for this ongoing prolonged uh, war in Ukraine. Now, let's get more details on this, Aran. Sure. The New York Times reported Monday that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un may soon travel to Russia to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin and discuss a possible arms deal. The report said Kim would travel from Pyongyang, probably by armored train, to Vladivostok on the Pacific coast of uh, Russia, where he would meet with President Putin. It also said that both leaders would be on the campus of Far Eastern Federal University in Vladivostok to attend the Eastern Economic Forum, which is scheduled to be held on September 10th to 13th. Earlier in July, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu made a trip to Pyongyang where he and North Korean officials discussed a potential arms deal between the two countries. U.S. National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications John Kirby previously warned that Pyongyang may be considering providing additional weapons and military equipment to Russia for use in its ongoing war in Ukraine, while noting that the leaders of North Korea and Russia may have discussed such a deal in letters they have exchanged since Shoigu's trip to Pyongyang. The New York Times report also said a delegation of some 20 North Korean officials, including those who oversee uh, security protocols for the leadership, traveled to Vladivostok in late August, indicating an upcoming trip by the North Korean leader. The report also quoted an official saying that one potential stop for Mr. Kim after Vladivostok is Vostochini Cosmodrome, a space launch center, noting that North Korea may be seeking to obtain advanced technology for satellites and nuclear-powered submarines from Russia in exchange for its weapons. Pyongyang unsuccessfully fired two space launch vehicles each carrying a, a, a military reconnaissance satellite in late May and August. North Korea said it will attempt to conduct another launch in October. So we keep talking about, uh, and and for our listeners out there who have been tuning to our program Korea Now for some years now, one of the things I've been mentioning ever since, uh, the first of all, the war in Ukraine, and we talked about this continued tension uh, in on the Korean Peninsula, Teams are forming. Again, I keep saying this, right? And so we're seeing, uh, for example, the United States and some of its uh, the Western allies along with South Korea. And then you have China, Russia, North Korea sort of forming this alliance. Now, granted, China has been sort of hands off on the Ukraine issue. I don't think they really want to because uh, Russia needs all the help they can. And now China, because there's, they sort of want to be mixed into the international community, they have a big uh, market out there. Uh, they don't want to, I guess, risk being further sanctioned uh, by the U.S. or, you know, or other Western countries like in the UM, uh, EU member countries. And so they've been hands off. But you have Russia and North Korea sort of still going, hey, you know what? North Korea is kind of going, we have nothing to lose. So we need all the allies. Uh, we're going to cooperate militarily as well. So. We are seeing this growing chance of even a first ever joint military drill between North Korea, China, and Russia. Uh, concerns are, of course, being raised about the closeness between the three countries and the sophistication of the military technology uh, used for North Korea's provocation. So, Yane, let's get more details on that front. 
Uh, Russian media outlets reported today that the Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu said a joint exercise with North Korea is, quote, naturally being discussed. Now, this comes after the National Intelligence Service of South Korea's disclosure on the 4th that Shoigu had a meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un to formally propose joint military exercises with North Korea and China during his July trip to North Korea. Also, some U.S. analysts are speculating that Kim has a plan to visit Russia this month, suggesting that military cooperation between North Korea, Russia, and China, including joint exercises, is evolving beyond discussions uh, and to the stage of actual implementation. However, there has been no mention of such a drill from North Korea's side, and there has never been a joint drill between the countries before, so uh, it remains to be seen if uh, the first-ever trilateral drill will be actually realized. The trilateral collusion is being interpreted as a reaction uh, towards the recent growth of military and security cooperation between, uh, of course, South Korea, the United States, and Japan, uh, which took place on, um, amid the escalation of North Korean provocations, global strategic competition between the United States and China, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, in particular, uh, while the presence of U.S. troops in Japan has hindered Sino-Russian advances into the Pacific region, the countries are seeking to access and leverage the East Sea as an outpost, and the North Korean regime is seemingly responding to them quite actively. For North Korea, rather than confronting South Korea and the United States alone, it will be able to widen the region where it can remain active by uh, strengthening its ties with China and Russia, while of course acquiring advanced military technologies from Russia to raise the level of provocation in exchange of additional arms supply to Russia for its war in Ukraine. This is an interesting, uh, I guess, alliance that you're seeing here. Granted, they are traditional allies, uh, North Korea, Russia, and China. Uh, In fact, they are, I guess, Russia and North Korea might be some of the few allies of China at this time. Uh, You can argue that North Korea and China might be the very few allies of, uh, you know, North Korea and so forth. And you could say the same thing. But Mm -hmm. China is the kicker here because China, although they do express sort of this alliance with the the other two countries, but when it comes to military issues, they seem to be sort of hands off, right? I mean, they'll, they'll take part in drills. I believe China and Russia have conducted drills in the past together in this region. Uh, But you could see that sort of with the the Ukraine war, where China is refusing to take part in even providing ammunitions, uh, despite the fact that Ukraine has been getting you know number of weapons from uh, the U.S. and uh, some of their other allies. And the big question now is if, in the worst case scenario, even that there is an all-out war on the Korean Peninsula. Will China assist North Korea like they did during the Korean War in 1950-1953? Because the circumstances of things right now is very, very different. Where China seems to be going, I don't, we don't want to risk anything, uh, especially uh, economically, because of North Korea and Russia. So, even if they do hold these drills together, uh, will China? In the worst case scenario, a world war breaks out. Will China actually take part in assisting Russia and North Korea? I mean, are they going to be kind of really grouped into this one group is the big question right now. But 
again, uh, it could be more symbolic than anything. And of course, China, the only reason why they probably would take part in drills like this is because they're also very much upset that the U.S., uh, South Korea, the U.S. and Japan have been cooperating on that field in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, we know that, uh, and we reported on this earlier this week, uh, North Korea having fired two cruise missiles towards the West Sea uh, last Saturday uh, following the major joint exercise between South Korea and the United States. Now, the North Korean state media, KCNA, also said that it was a simulated tactical nuclear attack. Uh, Aran, tell us what the, uh, the KCNA said in regards to this. Sure. On Saturday, South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said that North Korea fired several cruise missiles toward the West Sea at around 4 a.m. local time. The launch came two days after South Korea and the U.S. finished their 11-day Ulji Freedom Shield exercise. A day after the missile launch, the North State Media, KCNA, said a firing drill for simulated tactical nuclear attack was conducted at dawn of September 2nd to warn the enemies of the actual nuclear war danger, adding that two long-range strategic cruise missiles tipped with mock nuclear warheads were fired. The North claimed the nuclear strike mission was successfully conducted with the missiles flying a distance of 1,500 kilometers for 7,672 7, to 7,681 respectively, uh, seconds respectively, and detonating at a pre preset altitude of 150 meters above the target. North Korea again denounced the late latest major exercise between South Korea and the U.S., which involved at least one U.S. B-1B strategic bomber and fighter jets, saying that the allies are more openly revealing their military confrontation schemes against the North. However, South Korea's military expressed skepticism over North Korea's claims that it successfully carried out its simulated tactical nuclear strike mission. A senior official, official of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said that an analysis indicated that North Korea's announcement was exaggerated and not all of them had succeeded. In the photos released by the KCNA, only one of the two claimed missiles were shown depicting its explosion in midair. North Korean state and media usually promotes any successful weapons test to showcase their military capabilities to the outside world. But they chose not to post a photo of the other missile, which indicates that it either failed or has some information they don't want to reveal. As North Korea's state founding anniversary on September 9th is approaching, it appears that the country may continue with further provocations to bolster its internal unity. Yeah, so the way that North Korea is conducting these, again, it's called a, a technical nuclear attack, and you might be going, well, why are they blowing up cruise missiles midair? Uh, it's been revealed, I believe, earlier this year that what North Korea's plan is using these uh, cruise missiles, uh, put a nuclear warhead and then an explosion detonating it in midair so that it wipes out both uh, South Korea and Japan together is what the the whole thing is, which is why they're trying to detonate these uh, cruise missiles midair. But yeah, I, I mean, again, it's not the first time that North Korea has exaggerated their military technology. I mean, they, a couple of years back, it, it was it last year, I believe, they were uh, touting the fact that they had uh, hypersonic missiles and uh, military experts have said that, no, they don't have real hypersonic missiles and North Korea never responded after that. They, they couldn't rebut that, the idea that they didn't really have uh, hypersonic missiles. But nevertheless, 
Nonetheless, uh, we'll continue to keep a close eye on this as, again, the founding of the North Korea state uh, is this Saturday. Uh, let's turn our focus to some economics news this time. We have South Korea's economy growing at 0.6% in the second quarter. This is uh, from April to June as imports fell more than exports, leaving net exports. Uh, this is, of course, exports minus uh, imports higher than in the previous quarter. Yane, let's get more on this. Sure. So the Bank of Korea announced today that the country's quarterly GDP growth for the second quarter of this year came in at 0.6%. The quarterly growth rate was previously negative in 2020 Q1 and Q2 amid the outbreak of COVID-19. But starting from the third quarter of the same year, the rate remained positive for nine consecutive quarters until the third quarter last year. However, it turned negative once again in the fourth quarter, mainly due to a sharp decline in exports and rebound in first quarter this year thanks to an increase in private consumption remaining positive for two additional quarters. Uh, but when you break down, uh, break down the whole second quarter growth by sector, all sectors except capital investment actually experienced a decline. Uh, private consumption fell by 0.1%, mainly in clothing and footwear and food and lodging. Uh, government consumption also fell by 2.1% and construction investment contracted by 0.8% as well due to the shrink of civil construction projects. Now, despite the weakness in both private and government consumptions, uh, overall GDP grew by 0.6%, mainly thanks to higher net exports. Now, if you look at real GDP, it is the sum of private consumption, government consumption, investment, and net exports. Uh, and compared to the first quarter, the country has seen more drop in imports than in exports, allowing for positive growth due to higher net exports, according to the BOK. Now, nominal gross national income, or GNI, in the second quarter was 0.2% lower than the previous quarter, with a sharp decline in nominal net factor income from abroad from 19.3 trillion won or 14.5 billion dollars to 13.7 trillion won or 10.3 billion dollars. This came along with a decline in real GNI as well. Regarding the outlook for future GDP, an insider at the BOK said, quote, the growth is expected to gradually improve in the Korean economy due to a moderate recovery in consumption and an easing of export sluggishness. He added, however, there is a lot of uncertainty due to a number of downside factors, such as weakening domestic pent-up demand, slow economic recovery in China, and fears of further tightening in the United States. Let's uh, talk about other issues related to the economy, more specifically the consumer prices. We have the country's consumer prices seeing the largest hike in August in four months after falling below the 3% mark for two consecutive months. Uh, it is probably uh, linked to the summer's harsh weather. Uh, probably affecting the prices of products and services, not to mention we saw uh, fuel prices uh, sky skyrocketing over the past month as well. Anna, let's get the latest figures here. Sure. South Korea's consumer prices, a key gauge of inflation, rose by the fastest pace in four months in August as prices of fruits increased sharply due to the heat wave and heavy rain. According to Statistics Korea on, Tuesday, uh, on today, the uh, the country's consumer price index, uh, CPI, gained 3.4% year-over-year to 112.33 in August, the steepest increase in four months since 3.7% in April. Compared to a month ago, inflation rate was up 1.1 percentage points from 2.3%, and it is the steepest growth since uh, September in 2000. 
In July, inflation hit a 25-month low at 2.3%, but it bounced back to the 3% level in three months. Abnormal weather conditions such as heat waves and heavy rains led prices of agricultural products to go up by 5.4% this month uh, from a year ago, pushing up overall prices by 0.26 percentage point. Particularly, fruit prices grew 13.1% from a year ago, the largest increase uh, since January last year. Prices of apples rose whopping 30.5% and peaches 23.8%. Vegetable prices were down 1.1% from a year ago due to high prices resulting from heat waves last year. However, they were up 16.5% from a month earlier. Prices of oil pr products fell 11%. The decline was smaller than 25.9% in the previous month with the fading of base effect that lasted through July. Electricity, gas, and water prices rose 21.1% in August from a year ago, similar to the previous month. Meanwhile, service prices were up 3%. Particularly, personal services gained 4.3%, the lowest level in 18 months since 4.3% in February 2022. Cost of dining out also rose by the lowest margin of 5.3% since 4.8% in December 2021. The Bank of Korea forecasted that with the growth of personal services price slowing down and agricultural prices stabilizing as the season changes, the fourth quarter will also see consumer prices fluctuating around 3%. You know, it's interesting with the uh, the fuel prices is that uh, it seems to be on year. It's a decline. But uh, if you guys remember around uh, this time around last year, it was like record high figures in gas prices, uh, something like it was over like 2001 per liter, uh, whereas right now, I believe it's uh, something like 17, uh, 1701, uh, 1701, which is still very much high. It's just that it's just lower uh, than the figures uh, compared to last year. Uh, we have s some news uh, regarding, I guess, maybe new parents uh, or soon to be parents. Uh, starting January 1st next year, the amount of monthly parental benefits will be increasing if you're a parent of a child age zero. Uh, you will receive 1 million Korean won. If they are aged 1, you will receive 500,000 Korean won. Yin, let's uh, get more on the decision the government has made in today's cabinet meeting. Of course. So in this 37th cabinet meeting held this morning, uh, the government approved the amendment to the enforcement decree of the Child Benefits Act, which pushed up the parental benefits for children aged 0 and 1 from 700,000 won and 350,000 won to 1 million won and 500,001 uh, respectively. The child allowance of uh, 100,001 100, or $75 per month for children under the age of 8 will be provided separately. Uh, the cabinet also approved the enforcement decree of the Medical uh, Benefits Act and with this in place upon application by a medical benefit recipient, the city will deposit the medical benefits paid in cash into a seizure prevented account uh, by the recipient. Now, the benefits deposited into this account cannot become subject to foreclosure, protecting the beneficiary's rights to secure the benefits. 
The enforcement decree approved today also stipulates the composition and operation of the Medical Benefits Disclosure and Review Committee, mainly to lay out the procedures for disclosing organizations that are fraudulent medical benefit recipients. Uh, Now, the committee uh, will be joined by members from the Ministry of Welfare, the medical community, as well as some legal experts and Apparently, this uh, committee will review whether uh, to disclose any violating organizations to the public. Now, in this case, information including the details of the violation, administrative measures imposed, the name and address of the medical institution, as well as the name of the representative, will be posted on the websites of the ministry as well as the local government for six months. Just kind of going back to the the enforcement decree of the Child Benefits Act, where now parents of uh, newborn children will get more uh, financial assistance. I have to say, I'm not complaining, or I don't think any of you will complaining, but having raised a child who's now four years old now, uh, previously five, he lost an age uh, this year. Uh, he's not very happy with that. Uh, but uh, it doesn't cost a whole lot in the first few years. I think the, the, the concerns among parents is once the kids start going to schools, right? And then you start going to middle school and high school and all the the cram schools that they have to kind of put into, and uh, which is, I think, another reason for why uh, the UN administration has pushed for trying to putting less reliance on the, the mm-hmm. private education, uh, saying that, uh, you know, that's what the reason why they're, kill- they're getting out, out the, the killer questions in the, uh, the Sunung, uh, so that there's uh, less reliance on the, the, the academies. But uh, we'll see. Uh, again, there's been so much money put into trying to improve the fertility, the birth rate, but uh, we've seen another yet another record low figure uh, in the recent uh, statistics that came out. But uh, nevertheless, uh, guys, thank you very much for your reports. Have a safe one and uh, looking forward to seeing you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.